Aren't we oh. happy about that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Very, 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 very happy. Creepy Austin Matthews gets to go on being creepy in his spare time even more. Welcome you to this 426th episode of Unscripted, and my blood pre- my blood pressure gets back down to an acceptable level after episode 425 and talking about the Remembrance Day massacre and and uh, the Cleveland Pittsburgh game from Monday night. I do need to send out some congratula- some congratulatory notes to some people from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. The first ones I need to send out congrats to are uh, Mike Trout of the Los Angeles Angels for winning the American League MVP this this last week. They Those uh, voting results were made public. Mike Trout of the Angels for winning the American League MVP and Justin Verlander of the Houston Astros for the American League Cy Young, while Cody Bellinger of the Los Angeles Dodgers wins the National League MVP and Jacob deGrom of the New York Mets wins the National League Cy Young. So congratulations to the four, those four uh, individuals. I will say this, and my bias is coming out a little bit, but so be it. If Kristen Yelich doesn't have that, uh, when he gets hit by the pitch in Florida in early September and breaks his kneecap, if he's able to complete the season and lead the Brewers to the playoffs. He, the Brewers made the playoffs, but they did it without Yelich. But I believe if Yelich finishes the season, Yelich wins his second consecutive MVP award. His numbers were the, right there with Bellinger. In fact, his batting average was better. And I believe that if Yelich doesn't sustain the broken kneecap in early September when he got hit by the pitch by a Miami Marlins pitcher, if that doesn't happen, I truly believe that Kristen Yelich of the Milwaukee Brewers wins his second consecutive National League MVP award. Now, the uh, comical and certainly not to be believed congratulatory note from me goes to Carmelo Anthony. You know why? Because <laughs> Carmelo Anthony finally found a job. Congratulations, Carmelo, as he signed a non-guaranteed contract with the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, I believe it was on Thursday of this week. He will not make his debut until Monday. Coincidentally enough, uh, Portland plays the Houston Rockets on Saturday. And I believe if it was anybody else in the Houston Rockets on Saturday, because that was the team that kicked him to the curb last year after just two weeks, I believe he would have made his debut on Saturday night but they didn't want to put poor Carmelo in an awkward situation, so they'll hold off until Monday. But all I have to say about Carmelo Anthony finally finding a job with the Portland Trailblazers is that this is a match made in desperation heaven. The Trailblazers have gotten off to a very slow start. They can't find their offense. People are just obviously keying uh, McCollum and uh, who's the other guy from Oakland out there? Uh, the little guy, Damian Lillard. They're just focusing all their energies on stopping those two because Portland does not have a third option. So this 
is their third option. They're importing Carmelo Anthony in from New York. And again, to me, this is a match made in desperation heaven by the Portland Trailblazers management. Well, if Mike Jansen is bringing up Carmelo Anthony, he must be in the mood for breaking news that no one gives a shit about. So speaking of that, the Miami Dolphins have signed Alan Hearns to a two-year contract. (laughs) So I hope you got your fix there, Mike. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that. Alan Hearns, I think at one time was with Jacksonville, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. and at one time with the Dallas Cowboys. And now he's going to the red-hot Miami Dolphins, winners of two in a row, as they look to make it three in a row at home tomorrow against their division rival, the Buffalo Bills. Um, a lot of things to talk about. I always like to introduce NCAA topics when Chris is in attendance because I just it's just like watching the kettle on a tea kettle just go to, you know, going to boiling point. Um, this is incredulous to me. I, I, I find this just, I don't know. Chase Young, we talked about him last week, the unbelievably gifted young junior defensive end for Ohio State University. A lot of people believe he will be the number one pick in next April's draft. Yes, before Tua of Alabama, who got hurt again today, uh, before Justin Herbert from Oregon. There's another guy. We better not, we better not forget about this guy as a quarterback too, folks. Joe Burrow from LSU who wasn't good enough to play at Ohio State, but now goes down to LSU, and he goes into Alabama last week, puts up 46 on the board, and beats the Alabama Crimson Tide. Congratulations, and really congratulations to Ed Orgeron, the head football coach at LSU. He's he, This is a guy that's been kicked to the curb more times than a, than a, uh, a hooker on... Uh, Oh, what's the big street in uh, in L.A. where all the hookers are? I should know that. I used to live there. Yeah. Sunset Boulevard. There you go. Sunset Boulevard. Is it really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Good call. I um, thought you were going to go like Canadian, go like Young and Dundas or something. <laughs> but Orgeron has been kicked to the more curbs than you know what. And he has done an unbelievable job resurrecting this LSU program. And it really didn't need to be resurrected. Les Miles won a national championship at LSU back in 2010. But... Since that time, LSU's kind of been an underachieving program. They get the big recruits, but haven't been able to all put it together. They put it all together last week and did a great job in beating uh, Alabama and Tuscaloosa, Alabama. But again, don't forget about the young man, Joe Burrow from LSU. But what I'm getting at is going back to Chase Young. Remember, I thought it was ludicrous last week when the news came out that he was looking at a potential four-game ban because he went to a family friend and asked for a loan to pay for an airline ticket to get his girlfriend from Columbus, Ohio to Los Angeles last year so he so she could watch her man play in the Rose Bowl. And, of course, Urban Meyer's last game at Ohio State. Sure, that was important. Um, Chase Young, the, the there's been an update on this story. Chase Young will miss this weekend's game. Ohio State was playing Rutgers University this week up in uh, Piscataway, New Jersey. And the Buckeyes in this football game, I don't think they'll miss Chase Young. Chase Young, uh, the Buckeyes are 50-point favorites in this football game. But Chase Young will be reinstated to play against Penn State next week and close out the season against Michigan. Never should have been suspended in the first place. But isn't that ironic that Chase Young misses games against, oh, I don't know who they even, they kicked the hell out of somebody last week, but 
They're going to kick the hell out of Rutgers this week. But then magically they get Chase Young back for next week against Penn State. And then the big one, the granddaddy, the big game between Michigan in two weeks. Isn't that, a, isn't that surprising how NC2A justice works? <laughs> well, obviously it's completely corrupt. The NCAA might actually be more corrupt than boxing at this mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It, it actually might be. Uh, so I mean, it'd be, I totally agree with that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to really compare them. I think the NCAA can be more corrupt because they just have a complete monopoly on all of that stuff. And uh, boxing, uh, part of their problem is that they're a bunch of warring factions who can't get along. So inherently, there's a little less room. There's not one guy controlling the whole thing type of a thing. So yeah, I, I think the NCAA is just a joke. And it's just, it's a really amazing to me that it's been so crappy for so long. I don't know. I don't know if it was ever good, really, but it's just disgusting right now, and it, it needs to be completely revamped. And uh, I hope it does go out of business, and something else comes in to replace it that's properly run. I think that would just be wonderful. Um, college football playoff. Um, there's second. I think it's second, second or third week. Doesn't really matter. Um, they come out with a top twenty-five for the college football playoff poll. But remember, only the first, the top four teams are the only four teams that we'll see a legitimate playoff scenario. Uh, As of last Tuesday evening, LSU was number one after their big win at Alabama. Ohio State slipped from one to two. Number three is Clemson. Number four is Georgia. I'm having a problem with Georgia at number four, folks. And here's the reason. Alabama lost at home to a very good LSU team. And that kicked them out of the top four. But Georgia lost at home to an underachieving South Carolina team, and that they're kind of giving Georgia a free pass. They're putting Georgia at four, where their home loss was against South Carolina, who right now is not bowl eligible to my recollection, whereas Alabama, and you know, not a big fan of Nick Saban, but Alabama gets kicked out of the top four when they lose at home to a very good LSU football team. Something wrong, man. Really something wrong with this college football playoff system. I think we've got to go to eight teams. Then we don't have to worry about this crap. Teams with one loss can still get in. But if there's only four teams that are going in, I think those four teams should be undefeated. They did what they they did the best that they could do with the schedule presented to them at the beginning of the year. Now, if we have a bunch of one-loss teams, that's one thing. But if we've got teams that are out there that are still undefeated, why aren't the undefeated teams in the top four? Ha- hard for me to say, but Minnesota's 9-0. and Why aren't they in the top four? Explain that one to me, NCAA. Again, you guys are dropping the ball. I don't understand it. Um, some people believe Oklahoma, but Oklahoma's lost twice. Oklahoma slipped to number 10. Number 10 should never make it into the top four, guys. Doesn't quite, can't do the math there. So I'm just, again, scratching my head. The playoff system was a good idea when it was instituted five years ago uh, during the 2014 season. That first year, Ohio State was a one-loss team, came back, won a national championship. There have been some good things. This is still better than that old BCS bullshit. But come on, guys. Top four teams, if you've got any teams that are playing in a Power 5 conference and they're undefeated, they should be in the top four. 
Well, I mean, if you have to keep the situation and the uh, system as it is right now, then yes, definitely teams should be undefeated. There's no question about that. But that is such a ridiculous standard overall. Uh, you know, it just needs to be so revamped. I mean, have an actual playoff, have a at minimum eight. But again, 16 games would be still my preference. Uh, I think that would be great. And, uh, you know, these because these, these bowl games don't mean anything. And most of the games, most of the teams don't really mean anything. It comes down to four teams randomly selected by a bunch of old men. And it's just totally ridiculous. So, yes, under the current rules, you should have to be undefeated. One lo- A one-loss team getting in simply means when there are uh, undefeated teams that don't get in, that is inexcusably... That, that is inexcusable, and that does not make any sense whatsoever. There's no logic to that. Therefore, you have to only have the undefeated teams get in. And any time one, one lost team has gotten in, it's just obvious corruption. That's all it is. I have one more other note quick from the National Communist Against Athletes. This is something that is a head-scratcher to me. Something that makes you go, huh? The Seton Hall Pirates, they're part of the Big East Conference. Um, they do not participate in football. This is a um, Seton Hall is is like uh, a Marquette, a St. John's uh, teams that just participate in basketball. They do not have a football program. They're a Power Five conference, but remember this, folks: there are how many uh, Division One A college basketball programs compared to how many Division One football programs they are. The Seton Hall Pirates are probably most famous. Uh, going back to 1989, P.J. Carlissimo was their coach. They lost in the national championship game to Michigan that year. The Michigan team that was led by Glenn Rice, uh, Rumiel Robinson was the point guard. Very good basketball team under Bill Frieder, I believe. No, excuse me, that would have been Steve Fisher at that time. Bill Frieder had left to go to Arizona State. Michigan hires Steve Fisher, leads him to a national championship back in 89. Seton Hall's men's basketball program has been been placed on probation for three years. So in my little mind, when a program gets put on probation, that means reducing scholarships. That means reducing, um, uh, well, yeah, besides the scholarships, it, it, there's some other things, but the big thing is no postseason appearance, right? Right? You're, you're getting your you-know-what slapped. You don't get rewarded by being allowed to to participate if you're, you know, given an invitation. If you're good enough to make the 65-man field, you shouldn't. I mean, if you're on probation, you should be ineligible to qualify to make the 65-man or 65-team field at the end or, you know, March Madness. That's what it is. But here again, the NCAA strikes again. The NC or Seton Hall has has put the Seton Hall men's basketball team on probation for three years, but they remain eligible for the NCAA tournament. How does how did they do that? That's ridiculous. How in the hell can you put somebody or an organization or or in this in this case a basketball program on probation and yet they're eligible to play or or be considered for the NC2A tournament in March? I just, I just, I'm not going to ask Chris to comment unless he wants to. I, I just had to make that a little bit more of our case of hating the NCAA. But I just can't figure out how they put a, a, a program or a school 
on probation, and this school is still eligible to participate in the NCAA basketball tournament. It just makes it just makes no sense. Yeah, I'm never a fan of when things are really half-assed like that. But other than that, I agree with, uh, you know, just I disagree with everything you said, so I don't need to add anything to it. But I would like to say this is sort of breaking news here, speaking of the NCAA. So uh, Tua Tagovailoa was taken off you on a cart. You got the name right. Way yeah, to go, I man. got it right last time, too. Well, I know, but I, I can't even say it. I just say Tua. <laughs> but uh, so he was uh, carted off the field today screaming in agony. And so they've uh, looks like they've diagnosed it. So I got a couple of... Uh, tweets here getting ready for free forum friday and so uh jim nage at jim nage underscore sb hearing Tua's hip injury is serious hip fracture similar to bo jackson's career ending injury oh, no. surgery tonight or tomorrow morning and then uh another guy dr mark atticus at uh, jock to doc uh Tua injury similar to bo jackson injury hip subluxation slash dislocation puts femoral head at risk of losing blood supply and dying need to get hip back in place gently asap and remove pressure from joint we know and i and and it just i would say that and it's just a coincidence but at halftime alabama kicked the hell out of whoever they were playing today doesn't matter i think it was mississippi you old miss doesn't matter they were kicking the hell out of them at halftime, I don't know if you saw this, but at halftime, as Saban was coming off the field, the little girl, sideline reporter, you know, runs him down and asks him a question. And Saban says, well, you know, Tua was going, this was his last series. So the last play that he may play, who knows, depending on how this turns out. I mean, it, it certainly altered the... Uh, career path of one Bo Jackson, Vincent Bo Jackson, when it happened to him back in the 80s. And I know the doctors are better now, but isn't it coincidence that Saban says, I was going to pull him after that series. And well, he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. And oh my God, that's a shame. I, you know, I'm not a big Saban fan, but you never want to see anybody, anybody get hurt like that. And so our thoughts and prayers go out with Tua, and I'll leave you to give the rest of his name because you're so damn good at it. Um, we are sitting here and talking during episode number 425 of Unscripted, and as always, we thank you uh, for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. Um, one, I, I keep getting these college notes here. Scott Frost, and it's funny, we talk about Scott Frost, and remember what he did three years ago at UCF, and led the UCF Golden Knights to a perfect season, and they weren't in, they weren't allowed to play because they weren't a Power Five conference. Remember UCF? That's that's Chris's favorite uh, University of Central Florida. That's Chris's favorite collegiate football team. Scott Frost, uh, you know, after what he did at UCF, he is an alumni of the University of Nebraska. He took the job two years ago at Nebraska to try to resurrect that University of Nebraska football program, and you've. You know, you've you've heard me rip the crap out of the Nebraska football program over the last two, three years that Chris and I have been doing unscripted. <clears throat> Scott Frost, his Nebraska team is at four and five in year two of his rebuilding job in Lincoln. Um, he came into this game today against Wisconsin with an eight win and 13 loss overall record so far during his two years at Nebraska. Of course, he hasn't completed two years yet. Well, after Wisconsin whooped them today, Wisconsin beats them 37-21. to 21. Uh, 
and Frost's record, career record at Nebraska falls to eight up and 14 down, but that doesn't seem to matter to the chancellor, the athletic director, and the regents board at the University of Nebraska as they have given the former Cornhusker quarterback a two-year contract extension until 2026 to coach the Huskers. Now, I would think before you start handing out contract extensions like uh, cinnamon buns, I love cinnamon buns. That's why I use that analogy. Um, You would think a program has to become bowl eligible first. And with the loss today to put their season record to four, four up and six down, Nebraska has to win their last two games to even be considered for a bowl. To get bowl eligible, Nebraska has to win their last two games. I don't know who they play next week, but I do know they end their year in Iowa, excuse me, in Lincoln, Nebraska, but against the Iowa Hawkeyes. I don't know who they play next week. It doesn't really matter. Nebraska has to win both of those games just to get eligible to go to the Peon Bowl. Six wins. But I think the contract extension for Coach Frost, and I appreciate what he did at UCF. Unbelievable what he did in that at that Orlando, Florida school. But I think that he should probably have his program at least bowl eligible before the administration at Nebraska starts handing out contract extensions. Yeah, that's kind of surprising. And maybe they think they're not going to be able to, uh, you know, attract any better talent than that. Uh, he has a long history with Nebraska, Correct. right? So yep. I think that's part Won of it. Won a national championship as a quarterback. Yeah. So maybe giving him more time is better than like the BC Lions is firing guy a year in. Maybe that's better. So give him some time. And at the very least, maybe they're not expecting him to win a national championship. Maybe they're expecting him to just make the program a little better than it has been and maybe start on the way to something big. And then maybe uh, as it improves, the better it gets, the more likely they are to sign an even bigger and better coach. So maybe this is uh, the long ball. So I don't want to criticize it really because, uh, well, it may not look the best right now. It's better than the, you know, short term job saving firing that some executives do way too easily. So uh, I'll just uh, say that we'll see how it works for now. But uh, yeah, at least they're not firing them too quickly. Um, we've got a couple other things to get to. Um, we haven't had a lot of time to talk about the National Hockey League, and I'd like to obviously talk about the uh, National Hockey League, and I will get to that, but I did want to make note of this. Um, there were at least 24 NFL teams represented today, Saturday, the 16th of November, as that there was a private workout for NFL teams to check out what old Colin Kaepernick is up to these days. And again, there were at least 24 teams that were going to be sending representatives of that team to go down and take a look. And then what the NFL promised that they would do would be to provide a video of that workout and of an interview that that Kaepernick was going to get after the conclusion of this workout to all 32 teams to see if there's any interest in the former University of Nevada Reno star, who unfortunately was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, yeah. So did you hear about how they changed this at the last second? No, I didn't. Please. That's what I was, I, I was just yeah. going to ask you if there's any updates because yes. while we were broadcasting here today was when this 
private workout was going on down in Atlanta, Georgia, and Chris has some updated information. So please hit our fans with some information about Kaepernick's workout. Yeah, so I mean, nothing's really come out yet about the actual test results or anything. But what happened was it was supposed to be at 3 p.m. Eastern at a certain location around Atlanta. It was supposed to be at the Atlanta Falcons practice facility. Yes. Now, the NFL, they decided to make a policy for some reason that no media was allowed and no camera. Yeah, except for their own camera. So they could kind of control it. Oh, I see. So what happened was at the last second, Kaepernick said, oh, by the way, I'm not showing up there. I'm going to this other location, Atlanta, for four o'clock. So you have an extra hour to get there. And that is open to anybody that's open to the that's open to the media you can bring all the cameras you want i want a transparent and open process and uh so uh so i I actually love that i have to say like i haven't been the biggest kaepernick fan but i love this a lot because the nfl like what the hell is this whole thing anyway uh I, i think this is a way for maybe the nfl to try to put to bed the idea that kaepernick could still play because i will say and maybe he'll prove me wrong he claims he stayed in shape this whole time but he could still be rusty of course but I didn't think he was that great in his final season. He did play. Never mind now with three more years, three years older. He's in his 30s now. 32. Yeah, he hasn't played since he was in his 20s. And so I don't, I just, I think it's crazy. Even if you think he was really good when he last played, which he wasn't, but even if you think that, the thought that he would be good now is crazy to me. Now, he might have some tread left on his tires if he, you know, got some, got some time getting used to a new team and system and got some reps in, maybe he'd be okay. But I, I just think it's really unlikely and nothing to do with his politics or anything. I just think that's a really unlikely thing physically for a guy all of a sudden come back in his 30s when he hasn't played since his 20s. But we'll see. I mean, he's going to do the testing and the interview and all this stuff. And now the NFL can't control the narrative. They can't edit it a certain way. They can't whatever. So it was smart of him to do this for sure. I feel like this whole thing was just so that they could make him look bad and then, oh, see, he sucks now so everyone can stop talking about him. But uh, I don't know what the fuck they're doing. They're such a disgusting organization, (laughs) at least in terms of like Goodell and his office. But anyway, yeah, so I'll actually be interested now to see what happens here. But I just can't imagine that uh, any physical testing or anything is going to be amazing for him. And and what's, what's the deal with you know, his kneeling and all that now. Is he still going to be a distraction? Well, is exactly. He gonna... And, and uh, Eric Reed, the guy that well, was the uh, big-time safety for the 49ers when he started kneeling in 2016, um, he did find a job, but the Carolina Panthers allow him to kneel. So he has continued to do that, but that's a great point. What If there is a team out there decides to offer him a contract as a backup quarterback, and you know what? Let's be honest. There are some teams out there that could use a Colin Kaepernick as a backup, I believe. Even though it's been three years since he's played, yes, he'll be very rusty. Yes, defenses uh, evolve and expand and do a whole bunch of crazy things on a weekly basis, things that he hasn't seen in three years. But I think somebody will take a chance. I really believe that in my heart of hearts. Um, I don't know who it will be. But it will be interesting to see what will happen if he is signed to an NFL contract. It will be very interesting to see if he'll keep doing the kneeling thing. Um, I think if he really is serious about this, I think he should probably suspend doing this. 
Well, I I find it interesting too. I'm just reading here that not only did the NFL want the media not allowed in, they wanted to not even allow Colin Kaepernick's own people to tape Correct. anything. Correct. Which is like, okay, so you guys Correct. are clearly shady. I mean, obviously. What I heard this morning was that he's bringing in five of his buddies to play wide receiver for him for mm-hmm. this workout. And one of them is a guy by the name of Wayne Ellington. And I don't remember who that is. But supposedly Kaepernick is bringing in three of his buds. And so he has, you know, comfortable guys to throw to. Um, again, I think if if there was the last gasp effort to try to get him a job in the National Football League, this is it. Well, he is from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Born and raised, I know. So I maybe know. maybe he uh, maybe he'd be an upgrade over Tim Boyle, maybe? I would be an upgrade over Tim Boyle, hmm. I believe. If Aaron Rodgers goes down, folks, we're done. Um, let's continue on. Uh, I do need to make note of a scary thing that happened at Flames practice the other day um, when defenseman TJ Brody collapsed at practice, sent to hospital. He's since been released, but no timetable on his return to the lineup, and supposedly he was having seizures on the ice. So that is quite scary in and of itself, and I hope that the medical team uh, did not consult the New Orleans Saints medical team of the Calgary Flames, and I'm hoping that whoever the team doctor is, we will they will kind of obviously uh, give him all the time that he needs and and be extra extra careful in dealing with this because you got a guy on the ice that's having seizures. I mean, come on, that's so much more important than hockey. Uh, that is so much more important than any athletic competition or athletic practice or athletic anything the first and foremost thing should be to make sure that tj brody is able and uh, willing i mean after you have a seizure do you think about maybe your mortality a little bit and maybe you think that yeah you know i love hockey but i'd rather not die on on a hockey ice and uh, i just hope the flames don't rush him back i don't think they will I'm just hoping a full recovery for TJ Brody and just so he is back to normalcy in his regular everyday life. If he never plays hockey again, that's one thing. But let's just hope, and I'm hoping, that TJ Brody makes it back in one piece and he gets his normal life back. And again, it's an added bonus if he plays hockey again. But if not, he's had a good career. He obviously will get a pension from the National Hockey League. He'll be set for life. But... Again, our our thoughts right now should be making sure that TJ Brody makes it back in his regular everyday, day-to-day, regular mundane life, worrying about him getting back to being a blue liner on the defense core of the Calgary Flames is not the most important thing here, folks. His health is more important than anything related to the great game of hockey. Um I do want you to talk about this. I heard this this morning. Did not see the game last night. But I did hear about Connor McDavid last night having a six-point night. And he had his teammates awestruck last night as to what he was doing. So give us a bit of an update. I know you've heard about it. I want to hear about what Mr. McDavid did last night with his six-point performance. And again, his teammates were just awed by what he did. I don't know if it was a speed thing. I don't know if it was a shot thing. I don't know what he did, but 
what what got his other 24 teammates up in standing ovation for Connor McDavid last night in Edmonton? Well, geez, it was uh, they just they just looked really good, and even today they're uh, they're now up three to two on the Dallas Stars and they're looking good again. It's just you know the special teams are just clicking like to an unbelievable degree. I have to admire the job that Dave Tippett has done, and then also Colorado uh, had both their goalies who were dressed were basically rookies who've hardly ever played, and so a lot of the shots that were going in were wrist shots. And uh, maybe would have been stopped by someone else, but that's not to take away six points for Connor, including his second hat trick in three games, and uh, five points for Leon in the same game that Connor gets six. It's pretty funny. I actually thought it was funny. That was a home game. The first Connor hat trick two games earlier was in Anaheim, and you would have thought it was in Edmonton. So many hats were thrown on the ice. It was pretty funny. So uh, it's everything's clicking. Connor and Leon are way ahead at one and two in the uh, overall points race in the NHL. They're just absolutely clicking. Uh, Cassian's been a nice compliment to them, and uh, it's just, it just is working really well. Now Ryan Nugent Hopkins is finally showing his excellent wrist shot that's always been underrated. He had two more goals. I had just said he needs to score more. He hadn't scored much. All of a sudden, he's got four goals in three games or whatever it is, and uh, now it's starting to click. And uh, Juger Kara, who is an actual Oilers draft pick and who has been developing for years, he's got two goals today. He's got two of the three goals today, and they need that secondary scoring. But overall, I mean, Connor's just at another level. He is the fastest skater by far, but he also processes the game faster than anyone. In the past, you've seen fast skaters. I mean, Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux were never the fastest skaters or anything, not at all, but they thought the game the fastest. You've got Connor now, who's the fastest skater, and he thinks the game the fastest and at a speed that can keep up. It's unbelievable. And the chemistry with Dreisaitl, they just play off each other so well. And they can both be played in any situation. Both guys are amazing on the power play, amazing on the penalty kill. Uh, a lot of people are surprised when Leon Dreisaitl's out there down uh, on a five-on-three penalty kill, and he's out there. People maybe don't know, a few years ago when Taylor Hall was still on the team, uh, they had a, and Connor wasn't there for this one event, but they had a fastest skater uh, contest, and Taylor Hall, who's very fast, got second, and Leon Dreisaitl got first. Leon Dreisaitl maybe doesn't have the best acceleration, but his top speed is excellent, and he's just so good. He's so good at finishing, and those two are just unbelievable together and it's nice to see um, Nuge and Connor both shooting the puck more I think that's really important because Dreisaitl's always had a uh, I don't even want to say a shoot first mentality because he's really known for his amazing passing that was the thing that really I think uh, had people notice him more than anything and more than even goal scoring was his amazing passing I remember when Connor was drafted he said he was really proud of being a pass first guy and that's great and he is a great playmaker but we need to have Connor and Nuge shooting the puck more. They both have excellent shots, and it's nice to see them using them. And, uh, you know, I'm just so thrilled with what's going on in Edmonton with the Oilers. But give Dave Tippett some credit because uh, I don't remember the last time we had great special teams, never mind both, to have we've got the top road power play in the NHL. Or sorry, we've got the top road penalty kill. We've got one of the top power plays. It's It's fantastic, and it really does seem like the real deal. And I absolutely think that we've uh, set ourselves up so well this year that even if we're just average from here on out, we should get into the playoffs. And, uh, you know, we're looking really well set up to do some damage here. Before we get out of here on this 426th episode of Unscripted, I wanted to update you for the nine fans that still give a damn. Um, Austin Matthews's 
disorderly conduct charge in Scottsdale, Arizona has been dismissed. His accuser and the player reached an out-of-court settlement. Aren't we oh. happy about that? Oh, yeah. Very, 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 very happy. Creepy Austin Matthews gets to go on being creepy in his spare time even more because he has money. That's nice. We've got to run on this 426th episode of Unscripted. Freeform Friday is next. And uh, look, always look forward to Freeform Friday as a great way, great way to wrap up the week of shows here on Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.